Well, we began, uh, we began last week in our, uh, our sermon series looking at uh, different psalms. That's where we'll be throughout the summer. And last week we were in Psalm chapter 8. Um, if you remember, that was a, a psalm of praise written by David. And uh, it was a psalm that, that praised God specifically for his role uh, as creator God. Um, we noted how David referenced the creation event uh, from Genesis 1 and 2, as he was talking about that. And then we also talked about uh, the place of humanity within God's creative work, how he's called us to, to rule with him over, uh, over his creation, to be stewards of that. And, and so Psalm 8 is a wonderful reminder that we that we can and we should regularly give praise to God as the, the majestic creator of all things. But that isn't the only reason that we can and should praise God. And so today we're going to look at another psalm of praise. Um, now, now, as we spend time in the psalms uh, during the summer, what I've tried to do is, is uh, select psalms that will give us a, a taste of the variety seen within the book. So last Sunday and today, we're focusing on psalms of praise. Um, after the community worship service in the park next week, the following two Sundays will, uh, be, will be psalms that focus on proclaiming God's kingship. And then we'll also study two thanksgiving psalms, two wisdom psalms, two lament psalms, and two psalms proclaiming trust in God. So we're going to kind of look at two of those uh, each time we go through these. Uh, but, but as I said today, it's another psalm of praise. So in addition to praising God for his creative work, we might ask, why else might we give praise to God? What are other things that we praise him for? And another reason that might quickly come to mind is God's work in our salvation. The forgiveness, the redemption that we, that we receive from him for his work on the cross. Um, psalm 32 that, that Pastor Tim read at the beginning of the service is a psalm that praises God for that specifically. God's work in salvation. Now, the reason that Pastor Tim read Psalm 32, even though today's sermon is on Psalm 33, is that some people think that those two psalms might have originally been a single one. And, and there's, different, uh, there's different things that support that idea. There's, there's been uh, uh, 10 different Hebrew manuscripts that have been found through the years that that join those two psalms together as one, 32 and 33. Um, psalm 33 doesn't contain a heading like nearly every psalm up to this point in the book. So that's another clue that might lead us to think that way. Um, the last line of Psalm 32, shouting for joy, uh, leads right into the first line of Psalm 33, shouting for joy to the Lord. And, and then, in addition, both psalms speak of the steadfast love of the Lord, which we'll talk more about as we go through this morning. So, 
So, uh, you know, even though we're focusing on specifically on Psalm 33 this morning, it is helpful to recognize the praise that has already taken place in Psalm 32. Praise that was given because God is a forgiving God and a deliverer God. It's good to know that. And, and really, here's how I would, how I would encourage us to, to picture these two psalms this morning. I, I think picturing them in the way that I will describe will, will help us recognize and reflect upon this journey that is life. Um, I think Psalm 32 is a great representation of what transpires when a person comes to have faith in Jesus for the first time in their life. I think that's described so well in in Psalm 32. Uh, verses 1 through 4, they, they recognize the reality and the effects of sin in their lives. And then they confess their sin to God and look to him alone that we see in, in verse 5. Then in verses 6 through 9, they receive protection and deliverance and instruction from God. And then in response to the great steadfast love of the Lord, they are glad and rejoice and shout for joy, as seen in verses 10 and 11 of Psalm 32. So maybe we can think back to, uh, to the point in our own lives where we first put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of and the cleansing of our sins. Or maybe if we can't remember that moment in our own lives, we can, we can think, about, uh, think about that in the life of somebody else that we know where they, they came to that place of faith for the first time in their life. Or, or perhaps it's one of those moments where we recognize or, or, or we experience God's forgiveness in our lives in a new and, and fresh way. Aren't those usually times filled with great joy and excitement and energy? And it should be, right? It should be that. It, it should lead us to to rejoice and shout for joy, as, as David writes here. But we also know that the reasons for praising God are not limited to just his work in salvation or, or even his work in creation, like we talked about last week in Psalm 8. And so what Psalm 33 then does on the heels of 32 is it encourages us to continue shouting for joy to the Lord, but to do so not just based upon what God does, but who God is. Who God is. And what the challenge will be, as we'll see in Psalm 33, is to praise God even when who he is is more a matter of faith than it might be of sight. So that's the challenge that we'll see in Psalm 33, praising God for who he is all the time, all seasons of life, as I've, uh, as I've titled the sermon today. So, so with that, we're, we're ready to begin working through Psalm 33. So I'd encourage you to, to follow along with me uh, in your Bibles. Uh, I'll start by reading the first three verses. It says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So as I said earlier, the, the, this psalm begins with a charge to shout for joy. Give praise to God. 
but it's not, it's not just that believers are called to all shout whatever they feel like at the top of their lungs all at the same time. That's the kind of thing at a sporting event that you might, that you might encounter. Something exciting happens and everybody cheers. And it sounds like a cheer, right? But, you, but it, it, it's not an intelligible cheer. Like you can't pick, I mean, you know what they're cheering about because you saw it happen. But beyond that, there's, there's not a lot of unity in it. There's not a lot of specificity in it. So here, and then there's a time and a place for that kind of praise, right? That kind of cheering. But here, this is, this is something different. What, what Psalm 33 is calling for is, is, uh, is a, a shout for joy and a praise that is set to music in a congregational setting, which is kind of unique, right? Have you thought about the uniqueness that is congregational singing at church? I mean, there aren't many places in our daily lives where we go and regularly participate in singing. Maybe if you go to a concert or hear a choir, things like that, maybe there, but I don't walk into the supermarket and expect everybody to just start singing the same song, right? Singing it together. It really is kind of a unique thing. And when you think about our Sunday morning services, apart from the time that, uh, that I individually spend on my sermon, our congregational singing is the thing that takes the most time, the most effort, the most resources to coordinate. Uh, I mean, the worship council gives prayer, gives thought to the way that we sing songs, the specific songs that we sing. Um, Erica in the church office organizes the physical music and, and gets the lyrics ready up on the screen. The worship team, the tech team, they're, they're here early on Sunday morning, not to mention the practices that take place individually or as a group during the week. Why put all that time and energy and resources into singing songs together? Why do that is a question that we might ask. A simple answer might be, well, the Bible tells us that we should, and it does. We see that here in the first three verses. We're told that we ought to praise God in that manner. But, but even, even to expand on that, uh, congregational singing is, is a beautiful way in which creative people join together in unity to focus upon specific aspects of God and praise him for those things. That is what is taking place during congregational singing. See, music doesn't just connect our, our heads and our heart and our emotions together within ourselves. Music also connects us together with one another in a way that really nothing else does. So the unity that we're called to have in all things is displayed in a really tangible way when we join our minds and our voices together in, in congregational singing. And, and you know, it, it's for that reason, I think, especially, that, that it can be heartbreaking to hear about churches that, that don't just face tension when it comes to music, but even physically splitting over music. I mean, that's really the complete opposite of what music is supposed to do. You know, the thing that is meant to unite people together can sometimes become a point of physical separation and division. 
And, 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 you know, we've all got our own preferences, right, when it comes to music. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, I think the reason we attach so strongly to certain songs or certain styles of music is, is because music is meant to impact us in that deep way. But, but whatever our skill level is, whatever our musical preferences are, we can't allow those things to rob us of the joy of uniting together through song in praise to God, which is exactly what Psalm 33 is calling us to do. Uh, congregational singing is one of the great blessings that God has given to his church. And, and it's what is called for here at the beginning of Psalm 33. So, so that's the call to praise God. And, and as I said earlier, Psalm 32 calls for praise based upon God's salvation. Psalm 33 calls for praise based upon God's character. And, and it's in the middle section of this psalm that three specific aspects of God's character are listed and provide three reasons to praise God. So, so let's look at that first reason starting in verse 4. It says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, we might hear that and say, well, didn't we talk about praising God because of his work in creation last week? I mean, why are we going over this again? We spent a whole sermon on that already. And, and, and yes, we did. So does that mean we can skip over the, this, uh, this one here? Uh, no, it doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> and the reason is that uh, creation is mentioned here, but the focus of these verses isn't so much upon what God did, but how he did it. That's the focus. The focus isn't upon his creation, but upon his word, which brought about creation. So uh, we see the phrases in there. The word of the Lord is upright. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The call in these verses is to praise God because his word is upright and powerful. His word is upright and powerful. You and I can speak words, right? I'm up here speaking a lot of words this morning. We can speak words. And I believe that part I think that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, this being able to communicate through verbal language. I think that's an aspect of God's image. But our words are not like God's words. <laughs> They're a little bit like them, but man, God's words are vastly superior to our own. His words are upright. When God speaks, he speaks truth and nothing but truth. His upright words are, are what allows him to proclaim his steadfast love, as is written about here. And I talked about this a few weeks ago at, at Christian's funeral. The, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is hesed. 
And Hesed speaks not of love that is a feeling, and, and not even of love that is just an action, but of, of a covenant. It is a covenant. Uh, sometimes it's translated as unfailing love. So when God makes a covenant with his people, it is something that we know can be trusted because God's words are upright. When he speaks that covenant of love to us, it is with words that are true and words that are upright. He, he will prove his love to be steadfast and faithful through his actions. It will be shown to be that. But even when we might not see it, that we'll talk about later, we can trust in it because it was spoken with God's words. It was spoken with upright words. Think about the, the end of the book of Revelation. John has been given this, the, the blessing of witnessing all these things that are yet to take place. And he is assured in chapter 22, verse 6, that the words God spoke to him were trustworthy and true. So there's all these things that haven't yet taken place, but they're going to because they were spoken by God. His words are trustworthy and true. The promises God has made to us that we long to see fulfilled will be fulfilled. They will be because his words are upright. And, and this section also talks about God's words being powerful. They're both upright and powerful. Uh, you know, as we saw earlier, at God's very word, creation was formed. Talk about a powerful word. <laughs> God said, let there be light. And there was light. I mean, that is power. And, and, and David himself poetically wrote about God's voice in another place in Psalm 29. I'll just read a few of these verses for you. Um, this is what David writes, starting in verse 3. He says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. It's a pretty poetic way to say say that uh, God's words, God's voice is powerful. There is might in the words that he speaks. And so, so when God declares that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, it is so. It is so. When God calls us his son or his daughter, it is so. When God speaks to us and says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, it's so. When God says that he will reign forever and ever, it is so. Not only does he speak truth, but his words have the power to bring those things to pass. So his words come with the power to carry out everything that he speaks. And because of his words, uh, we see in verse 8, it's proper to fear the Lord, stand in awe of him. No one else's words <laughs> carry that kind of power contain that kind of truth in them. And for that reason, we're called to praise God. 
praise God specifically for the words that he speaks. But we're given more. So we praise God because his words are upright and powerful, but we also praise him because his counsel and his plans are firm. So look at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So just like we might compare our own inferior words to God's upright and powerful words, uh, we can also compare our own counsel and planning to the counsel and planning of God. Uh, we might try to devise and implement plans, but those plans are subjected to and subordinated to the plans of God. And, uh, you know, in the previous verses, uh, they take us back to creation to consider the words of God. Um, I, think, I think here David is taking us back to another story in Genesis to consider God's counsel and plans compared to man's. I think he's taken us to the Tower of Babel. All right, in Genesis chapter 11, the people of the world had their own plans, right? Rather than spread out across the world like God commanded them, they, they sought to band together, build a tower, reach up to heaven, and make a name for themselves to, to prove their own glory. And what I've always thought is a bit of humorous irony. God has to come down to see this tower, right? Here's mankind working hard to build a huge tower. God still has to come down to get to it. And in response to their efforts, God confuses their language so they can't communicate, and he then disperses them across the earth as he had commanded previously. So whose counsel and plans came to pass? It wasn't man's, right? God's counsel, God's plans were the ones that came to pass. Our plans are often short-sighted, selfish, small. Uh, it probably doesn't take much for our plans to be frustrated, does it? But God's plans, as we see here, God's plans stand forever. His plans are, are firm. Now, we may look at our world and think, surely this present reality isn't God's plan. All right, what about Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned, bringing our world into its present fallen state? Was that God's plan? Uh, what about the pain and suffering we experience today? Is that God's plan? God's plan is to reign over his creation for all eternity. That, that's the plan that will stand firm forever, as, as David writes in, uh, in verse 11. God's plan is to pour out his love upon those adopted as his sons and daughters. That is his heart to all generations that we see in verse 11. Nothing is going to ever frustrate or thwart those plans. Nothing will. Now, now the pain that we experience in this fallen world is definitely not part of our plans, right? It's not part of our plans. Neither does it bring God pleasure, but it doesn't thwart his plans. 
even in the hardest of days, the most painful of days, we're, we're still blessed to be able to call God our Lord, as verse 12 references. We are blessed to be God's son or daughter. Those are the plans of God that are going to be carried out. So we can give God praise uh, because of his word, because of his counsel and his plans. Uh, and, and finally, in Psalm 33, we praise God because his vision is complete. It's total. It's not lacking. Verse 13 describes it this way. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. The warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So our God is a God who sees everything, everything. There's nothing that escapes his gaze. He's not ever missing any of the details. He never misunderstands something that took place. For those of us who are God's people, which is who this psalm is written to, God's complete vision is a positive thing. And I think that is so for, for two main reasons that are listed here. First, God's complete vision is positive for us because it means that those who set themselves up against God and practice evil will not do so without judgment. God sees them. God sees what is taking place. Remember back to verse, uh, verse 5. God loves righteousness and justice. So it doesn't matter if it's a king with a great army or if it's a warrior with great strength or a person riding a horse with great might. They will not be saved. They will not be delivered. They will not be given salvation. They will not be rescued because of their greatness. No matter how much evil they are, are, are doing in the world, God's justice will be carried out. He sees it all. Now, there might be times where it looks like those with power in this world are prevailing against God. And, and there, there may be times where we think we need to be the distributor of justice because we're not sure God's doing it fast enough or he's not doing it thoroughly enough. But, but we ought to rest in the fact that God sees all the children of man and observes all their deeds. And his justice will prevail, as we're told here. So that, that's one of the positive aspects of God seeing everything for us. And the second is uh, God's complete vision is positive because, God's, uh, because God sees us right where we are. He sees us right where we are. He knows when our hope is in his steadfast love, in his hesed. And not only does he know, he, he will provide what is needed we see that in verses 18 and 19. He knows when we need the deliverance and provision, and he will provide it. And that's what he's done throughout history, biblical history uh, specifically, right? He saw his people in slavery in Egypt, 
and he set them free. He saw David thrown to the lions for his faith, and he delivered him. He saw our struggle, mankind's struggle, slavery to sin, and he sent his son in order to provide salvation and redemption and life to the full. I mean, God sees us, and he will uphold his covenant of love made with us. So, so we can look at the, the totality of this psalm and ask, you know, why should we praise God? Why, why shout for joy and give thanks and sing the new song? It's because his word is upright and powerful. It's because his counsel and plans are firm, and his vision is complete. Marvelous reasons to give praise to God. And so there's three verses left in the psalm. And at this point, it seems like it ought to end with people doing just what was called for in verse 1, right? Shout for joy. I mean, a compelling case has been made for why we ought to praise God and, and shout for joy in the Lord. So shouldn't that be what happens here in these last three verses? That would make sense to me. It seems like that's how this should be wrapped up. It's the ending that I would expect, but it's not the ending that we get in these final three verses. So look with me at verse 20. And again, this is the people now responding to all that's been written. It says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let me tell you the picture I don't get when I read those verses. I don't get a picture of a worship time where the band is playing and the choir's clapping and swaying back and forth and, and people are just lifting their hands high in praise to God. That, that, that's not the picture that I get when I read those verses. The first three verses might paint that kind of a picture, but not these last three. To me, these, these last verses are, are spoken by a people who believe God's words are upright and, and powerful. They believe that his counsel and his plans are firm. They believe that his vision is complete, but they just aren't seeing it presently in their lives. I mean, why else would they be waiting for the Lord? Why else would they need to trust the Lord? Why else would they need to hope in the Lord? Those are all words of anticipation, aren't they? Those are words that are, that are looking forward to something that we're not experiencing, at least not fully right now. They're looking forward to something better than what we're experiencing right now. I, I think the ending of this psalm speaks to the reality of what faith is. The, the classical biblical definition of faith is given to us at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what's that talking about? It's not talking about when we see it all being lived out around us. Faith is when we're hoping, when we're trusting, when we're waiting. That's, that's what faith is. And, and if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, We've had those times in our lives, right? Maybe, maybe right now where we feel like our faith is weak 
because we can't see God working and we can only hope that he is who we believe him to be. Being in that spot is not having a weak faith. Being in that spot is having faith, period. I mean, that's, that's what faith is. So, so even though God's words are upright and are powerful, there's going to be times in our lives on this fallen earth where, it, where it's tough to see that directly. And, and even though God's counsel and his plans are firm, there's going to be times in our lives on this fallen earth where it's tough to see that directly. And even though God's vision is complete, there's going to be times in our lives on this fallen earth where it's tough to see that directly. Those aren't the times to throw in the towel. They're not. Our, our emotions may tell us to do that. Other people may tell us to do that. You can guarantee Satan's going to be whispering in our ear to do that. But those are the times to do something else. Those are the times to respond like we see in these last three verses here. Those are the times to wait for the Lord in our soul. And he will show himself to be our help and our shield, as verse 20 says. Those are the times to trust in God's holy name, as verse 21 says. He will make our heart glad in him. Those are the times to hope in God, as verse 22 says, that his steadfast love will be upon us. And that's what it's all about. I mean, that is what it's all about. That is the essence of his hesed, his steadfast love. Even when it doesn't look like it's present, even when we can't see it like we want to see it or expect to see it, that it is there, that he has made a covenant with us and he will not break it no matter what is going on around us. I think that is what Psalm 33 is driving at. Yes, we praise God for all of these things and even when we don't see them like we want to see them, we wait, we hope, we trust, knowing that they are still true and it leads us then to praise. I, I wanted to end this morning by by having you uh, just picture someone in your mind. Uh, picture in your mind right now the, the person whom you most trust. And, and you can't pick Jesus for this one. For the sake of this exercise, you can't pick him. Anybody else, pick the person that you most trust, whether they're still alive or not. Um, either one is fine. The person that you trust the most. Now imagine that you expected that person to do something or, or act in a certain way, but they didn't. For whatever reason, this one time they just didn't act how you would expect them to act. For whatever reason, their character didn't seem to be shining through like you would expect it to. In that situation with that person whom you most trust, wouldn't you want to wait and wouldn't you want to continue to trust? And wouldn't you want to hope that your lack of clarity or, or lack of understanding about the situation would be set straight? I mean, isn't that what we want to do, right? I think if we truly trusted someone, that, that, that's how we would respond in that confusing situation where things don't seem to be matching up right. Now let's ask ourselves, 
is that person that we are picturing more faithful in their love toward us than God? I mean, that's how we would want to respond to that person, right? Even when we're not quite sure what's going on to still hope and wait and trust. But if that person and God were to make a covenant, both to make a covenant with us, who's more likely to break it? And, and I'm not trying to criticize the person in our mind, not at all. I, I, I'm just simply showing that I, I think we can be quicker to wait and trust and hope in another person than we can be to wait and hope and trust in God, even though God, his words are upright, even though his words are powerful, even though his steadfast love for us is certain. So even, even when we don't see God's character like we want to or like we would expect to, we can rest in him and we can, we can continue to praise him as we wait and trust and hope in him. As we wait and trust and hope in his steadfast love for us. What a promise. What a, what a God and a character of God and what a promise to us, a blessing that that is. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's come before God because we all know that it can be tough to wait and trust and hope in God when we're not seeing what we want to see. So let's come before him and ask that he would, he would lead and guide us in that. Father, we come to you and uh, we give you praise that you can be praised. That not just your works, but that your character are praiseworthy. Thank you for the reminder given to us in Psalm 33. Uh, the reminder given to us in Psalm 32 as well. And God, there's just times in our lives where we don't understand how you're working, why you're working. We don't, we don't see you like we want to see you. But in those times, would you, would you help us to wait? Would you help us to trust? Would you help us to hope in you? We know that those things won't be misguided. It's not, you're not going to fail us as we wait and trust and hope. Would you empower us to do it when everything and everyone around us is trying to get us to walk away and to not wait, hope, and trust? Would you give us what we need? And God, we give you praise for a day that is coming where waiting and trusting and hoping won't be needed because we'll see it all and we'll be before you and everything will be made right. We're so thankful that that day is coming. Would you provide for us in the meantime? Guide us, God, empower us. We thank you for your steadfast love. It is why we are here. It is why we can ever shout for joy in you. And it is why we can ever wait and hope and trust in you. God, as we come now and participate in this great blessing of congregational singing, May you be honored, and may we be united together as we give you that honor. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.